This is Pastor Scott Hidman from Clovis Hills Community Church, and you are listening to the Clovis Hills Podcast. You are about to hear from one of our teaching pastors here at Clovis Hills. I want to encourage you to download the Clovis Hills app where you can follow along with today's notes, submit a prayer request, or give to the ministry of this church. I hope today's message encourages you and draws you closer to the heart of God. So they wanted me to ride out on the Harley, and then they were like, you're a little small for that. Maybe you should ride your Triumph. So anyways, I took the kid bike out, but I like it. Um, good morning, church. How are we doing? Well, happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. And Father's Day is a funny holiday. Um, Mother's Day is packed with all different types of emotions. And Father's Day, men are like, meh. Um, it, it, it's interesting because even if you're not a dad, you're like celebrated. Like, way to go, not being a dad. Good job. I mean, there's that kind of thing going on too. So um, happy Father's Day and to all, all the guys out there. I, um, first and foremost, how many of you were at the uh, Pentecost service last weekend? Man, that was off the chain. I don't know if you know, but we uh, baptized 95 people that weekend. We saw 27 decisions for Christ happen over that weekend. It was just phenomenal. And, um, I, and those of you that were at the 1040 service, I may or may not have done a cannonball in our brand new baptismal and may have got the new stage all wet, but whatever. Um, I got to tell you, if you missed it and you're like, dang it, I wanted to get baptized, we still, we have a baptism team. They would love to get you signed up, get you to, even if you're just interested and you're not sure if you want to get baptized or not, we got two brand new baptisms here. We're going to work them in. We got one at the foot of the cross out there. If you'll pay for me to go to Hawaii, I'll baptize you in Hawaii too, okay? Can I get an amen? All right. So anyways, um, it's Father's Day and it, th- this is one of the things that I'm, I'm super excited about is uh, we also are starting something today called Big Sundays. And let me explain to you what it is. We, we decided this year, instead of doing VBS, VBS is awesome. I went to VBS as a kid, VBS is great. Uh, what VBS, we sense so, has become in our community is a place where all the Christian parents send their kids to get babysitting during the week and all the moms shout on high, amen, right? On, on, so that's great, but we want it to be an outreach. We want it not just to be an outreach to the kids, we want it to be an outreach to the whole family. So one of the things uh, we decided is this year we were just going to try it, is we are going to call it Big Sunday. We're going to put all the resources, all the money we'd put towards VBS, volunteers, all of that, towards doing kids ministry on Sunday morning. They would be big events for the next six weeks. So what that means is this. I believe this with my whole heart, that whoever wins the kids wins the community. Okay? Whoever wins the kids wins the community. If you look in our community, its highest value is children. That's why most of you moved into a Clovis Unified School District. That's why you run yourself crazy taking your kids to 47 different lessons, a sports program, and making sure they know French so one day they might get a scholarship somewhere. We kill ourselves for our kids. And, but here's what I want you to know. What does it profit a kid if he has a scholarship to Stanford and he forfeits his soul? See, if you win the kids, you win the community. If you want change in your, in your community, it starts with Christ, and we have to put Christ in them. So I want to encourage you, if you have cousins, nieces, nephews, neighbor kids, 
grandchildren, bring them over the next six weeks. We're going to plant the gospel in them. And you'd be surprised. They might start dragging their parents with them too. So I, I encourage you to, to, to do that. It's going to be awesome. If you notice, they've got all kinds of Disney characters buzzing around the, the, the place. Right? Sorry, not Disney characters. We're online right now. Sorry, Michael Eisner. Um, is there, they're actually just characters from cartoons that were really famous movies. But anyways... Good morning to our online crowd that is listening. It's getting bigger and bigger. They're their own church, really. I watch. It's the same, same people on Facebook Live every week. So good morning to you guys. And um, you guys ever lost? Well, actually, one more thing. Just to show the value this church has on children that you guys have on children that I love. We um, had our uh, annual golf tournament on Friday. And... Um, such, such a cool thing because all the proceeds from that golf tournament send kids to camp. It sends kids to camp. And you guys gave double what you gave last year. They raised $20,000 to send kids to camp. And that is incredibly generous. And I believe this with my whole heart. You get a kid to camp, you get a kid to Jesus. Um, I just really believe that. So we try and send as many as possible. And we don't ever want money to be an option that a, that a kid couldn't go to camp. So here's the other thing. Parents, sign your stinking kids up for camp. They've got volleyball camp. Volleyball camp is lame. Send them to houseboats, okay? They'll, I, my son, every year the football coach is like, your son's not going to start. He's not going to practice for a whole week. And I go, well, you know, sorry. Jesus is more important. And you know what? My son still started. Okay, so <laughs> who cares if he started anyways? What profit a kid if he's the starting linebacker on a football team and he forfeits his soul? Guys, priorities. Okay, anyway, so sign your kids up for camp. Don't make money. Excuse me, we just raised a bunch. So talk to Pastor Derek. Okay, so you ever lost something before? Yeah, we lose things all the time. If you've lost a pet, that's a really scary thing. You put signs up all over the neighborhood. And you, you know, for me, I'm a dog guy. So if I lost a cat, I'd be like, eh. Uh, but if I lost a dog, the signs would go up. Some people have other pets they're fond of. This one, this person lost a parrot. Do we have that picture? Look, they put it up all over, lost parrot. And there's a phone number and all that. And I thought that was great. But there's always that one guy in the neighborhood, and typically it's me. But the one guy that's just a clown, just a joker, and he comes around and he does this. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Parrot barbecue, coming up. <laughs> what a jerk, I love him. Anyways. I come from a neighborhood in Oceanside called South O, and it's like super quirky and real hipster and weird, and they will post weird things all the time. This is one of my favorite ones. Um, it was Lost Ring. If found, contact Frodo Baggins. Um, <laughs> this one wasn't in my neighborhood, but uh, Lost Mosquito. I love this one. It says, Aaron was a good mosquito that always liked to fly. It's urgent you return him before his three-day life cycle is up. Caution, he's carrying West Nile and malaria. And then this one is, whoever made this one is a genius. This was in Los Angeles on the streets of LA. Have you seen him? Probably not, because if you did, you'd be dead. <laughs> it's a ninja, by the way. Anyways, um, but sometimes you don't lose things. You just place them in the wrong place. And sometimes you find things that are poorly placed. Like you put it in the absolute wrong place and you didn't realize it. Um, Starbucks made a series of delivery vans and um, just kind of wrong placement. <laughs> And all my coffee snobs said, amen. All right, okay. So, um, and then sometimes if you're like a store manager, you put things in aisles and you put signs up and you don't think about it. And then you end up getting this, okay? And this might be some of you ladies by the end of the day, I know. So anyway, so the end of Father's Day. 
Today, uh, we've been going through the book of Corinthians, and I find it, um, we're going to talk about sex. And all of a sudden, all the men in the room are like, oh, no. Oh, no. Guys, I'm with you, okay? Hold tight. This is going to be a good one for you. But listen, um, we've been teaching through Corinthians, and I typically don't teach on subjects like this, but when the Bible comes to it and we come to it, and the reason why pastors don't like to teach on it is because someone in this room today will be offended. I, I'm just letting you know, I have pre-filled out complaint cards that you can drop in the offering at the end of the service. I promise you, I won't read any of them. And um, because here's the thing, we've come to this place in the Bible and rather than dance around it and teach on something that, that's friendly on Father's Day, I'm just gonna go there. We're just gonna go there. I'm not gonna apologize for the Bible because here's what I know about God's word. God's word is um, in, our, in our culture, um, we love all the passages about grace. We love the passages about forgiveness. And we love the passages in the Bible about love and they resonate with our culture so much. We love that part of Jesus. We love the part of Jesus and, and, and the scripture that talks about the equality of all people, that in Christ there's neither Jew nor, nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, all are one in Christ. And we amen those to death because they resonate with what our culture believes. But when we get to places in the Bible that do not resonate with what our culture believes, we get bristled and we don't like those. When it talks about sex, when it talks about money, things like that, we tend to go, I, I don't like that part of the Bible. Well, I'm gonna let you know something. You're in good company because the rest of human history has been that way. The Bible has offended every culture in one way or another because here's the deal. If the Bible, if you agreed with everything in the Bible, it would just be your worldview and you wrote it, not him. Thomas Jefferson took um, out all, because he didn't believe in any of the miraculous things that happened in the Bible, so he, wrote, he took them all out of the New Testament and only said, I'm only gonna believe the things that don't have the miraculous in it. That's not the Bible. That's garbage, is what I want you to know. That's taking out from what, what God said. So we're gonna go to what God said, but here's the thing. Every culture has a problem with the Bible and they're all different. If you go to an Islamic culture, if you go to a Middle Eastern culture, they read the Bible and they come up against the sex and the money thing and they go, it's not bad. It's a little liberal, but I can buy that. But they, you get to the, the grace part, the forgiveness part, the you don't have to do anything to earn God's favor. They struggle with that. They love the parts about vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, and, and, and the justice of God and the, and the wrath of God. If you go to, go to Indi Indian culture, they, they love the parts about the justice of God, but they struggle about with, with even the, the, the Christian Indians sometimes struggle with the, the equality parts because they've grown up, their culture has shaped what, how they read the Bible and they've grown up in a caste system and they'll struggle with that. That no, 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 people aren't equal. And then they'll say, no, but all are equal in Christ. And then they won't treat people equally. So every culture in history, and some of you are like, well, the Jews had no problem with it. You're trying to be that guy, Mr. Contrarian. And you're wrong too. The Jews had a big problem with the Bible. Have you read the Bible? Like most of the Old Testament is God saying, would you guys just obey me? Stop it. Stop following false gods. Stop doing that. Because God's word is truth. And we live in a world where we all, in one way or another, believe lies. 
So we're all at some point, if it really is God's word, it's going to brussel what you believe and bother you a little bit, and it should. So I'm here to bother you today, amen? All right, so um, today's scripture reading is gonna come out of 1 Corinthians chapter six, and I'm gonna read it to you. I'm gonna be your scripture reader. It's verses uh, 12 all the way to 7-2. So I'd love it if you're able to, if you'd stand in honor of God's word, and we'll, we'll read, it to, read it together. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything, you say. Food for the stomach and stomach for the food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in, her, in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? I want to read that one again. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Now, for matters you wrote about, it's good for a man to have sex, or it is, it is good for a man to not have sexual relations with a woman. Some of you are like, I almost caught you, Pastor. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. And all the husbands in the room said, amen. You may be seated. This is the word of the Lord. <laughs> um, you know, there's three things I, 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 I want to talk about today from this passage. And um, my, the person on ProPresenter, they're going to give you all three fill, fill in the blanks now. So you can just do it. That way, if I don't get to it, you're not like, I didn't get the last one. And you have to come ask me, okay? So there's three things we're going we're gonna to learn today uh, about sex. And we are talking about sex. And I know some, like, some of the men in this room right now are like, oh, no. Is this a trap? Did you get me here with bacon? And now you're going like, to make me feel guilty? Hold tight. I'm with you, men. Listen, we're going to talk about the world's view on sex. We're going to talk about the religious view on sex, and we're going to talk about the gospel view on sex. The world's view, the religious view, and the gospel view. I want to give you an illustration, though, about sex, because the way our culture sees sex is really interesting. Now, what I have in my hand is a carton of milk, okay? Now, 
You have the freedom to put the milk wherever you want. The proper place for milk, though, is in the refrigerator, the top shelf of the refrigerator. Those of you that don't put it in the top shelf of the refrigerator, one day the Holy Spirit will enlighten you and show you that that's the proper place. Till then, God has grace on you. But listen, it goes in the refrigerator, right? And there's a place in your fridge for milk and you put it there and that's where it goes. And when it's not there, something's wrong. Now you have all the freedom in the world to take the milk and it's your milk. You bought it. You knew whatever you want with it. And if you want guys, women, you can take it and you can put the milk in the pantry and you, it could sit in the pantry because it's your milk. You can do whatever you want with your milk. But here's what I know. If you put the milk in the pantry, you're going to have really bad cereal in a while. As a matter of fact, it's going to become a weight loss program for you. It's first going to be buttermilk and then it's going to be vomit milk, okay? So, but you have, you have freedom to put it there. That's not where it belongs. That's not the proper place for it, but you can put it wherever you want. So imagine though, you're like, no, milk is sacred. It's part of who I am. I have it every day with my Cocoa Puffs. And you decide that you're gonna build a special walk-in refrigerator for the milk, only for the milk. And you make it the centerpiece of your whole house. As a matter of fact, inside this refrigerator, it sets on a pedestal with a light on it oh, and glass case over it, right? And when you have to get the milk, you have to find a bag of sand that is equally weighted to the milk, Indiana Jones style, and you're like, wow. Or else alarms go off, right? And, and, and you spent half a million dollars building this walk-in fridge, alarm system so the milk doesn't get stolen, and you put the milk on the pedestal, and you could do that. It's your money, it's your house, it's your milk, but here's what I know. When you invited people over and they saw your refrigerator with the milk on the pedestal, and you're like, look at it, isn't it beautiful? And there's a light on it, and it's spinning, oh, you know, kind of thing. Those people would say, wow, that's, that guy overvalues milk a little bit, right? So this is what the world we live in has done with sex. It's either undervalued or it's completely overvalued. And, 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 and the Bible, believe it or not, puts it in its proper place. Top shelf fridge. So we're, we're, I, I wanna talk about that. So let's talk about the worldly view first, okay? Um, First and foremost, C.S. Lewis wrote about 80 years ago, he, 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 was, um, he gave us a thought experiment about sex, which I think is genius. And he said, he said this, he said, um, imagine you were uh, transported to another planet and there were people there and um, they were obsessed with steak. As a matter of fact, um, they would pay billions of dollars to watch other people eat steak. And they just oogle at it and it just got them so charged up. But they were kind of shameful about it, so they hid it. And they do it in private all the time. And some of you are like, that's me on Pinterest. Oh, no. Um, he was, here's what he, if you went to that planet and you saw people that obsessed with other people eating steak, you would think, wow, these people have an improper view of steak. That's not really how steak's supposed, they've elevated it too high, Right? So, so this, this is what we, we've done with sex. And see, um, it's, 
one half of our culture will say, well, sex is, is just a, an animal urge. You have to do it. It's a need. So do it however you want. As long as it doesn't bother anyone else, it's all about you and fulfilling that need. And if you fulfill that need, you're good. And then there's, there's a whole other segment of secular society that's over here that says, no, your sexuality needs to be celebrated. It needs to be, we need to put it out there. And, and it, it's, it's who you are. It's what you crave. It's who you are. And you should celebrate that with everything you have in you. And anyone that speaks different of it doesn't get it. As a matter of fact, they're bigoted. So th these are the two views of sex in a, in a secular culture that we live in in the 21st century, right? One is very low. One is way too high. It, it's overvalued. Okay, and, and um, you hear people all the time, they'll, they'll say it like, well, you know, you, 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 sex is a need, you have to have it as long as it doesn't bother anyone. And I want you to understand something. First and foremost, you don't need sex to live. You need water. You need oxygen. You need food. You need love. Love is different than sex. I have never seen a person crawling through the desert going, I gotta have sex or I'm gonna die. <laughs> ladies, if you, when you see that guy, he's a liar. Because <laughs> half the ladies in the room are like, I know that dude. <laughs> and all the guys are like, you're selling us out, man. <laughs> Listen, it's, it's, not, it's not a need at all. As a matter of fact, there are plenty of people in this room right now that live a celibate life. And um, where, where are my single people at? Holla? Holla? Okay. They're, look at that. They're like. And I'll tell you why. Because, and I'm going to jump forward to number two for a second. Because typically in churches, we elevate marriage as the highest thing. But I want you to know something, single people. The Apostle Paul said it multiple times that it's better to remain single. He said you're more spiritual. If you read verse 1 and 2 of chapter 7, it said, well, you can get married because you guys can't control yourselves. Those of you that are single and celibate, you control yourselves. You're better than me. Good job. Okay? God values you. Okay? I want you to know that. Um, and we do too at this church. That's par partially why we don't do like eight-week series on marriage. <laughs> Mia's like, thank you. Okay, so marriage is important too, but singleness is just as important. We do stuff on relationships. We do stuff on sex. We do stuff on marriage. We will touch marriage in the series we're doing now because the Bible touches it, but we won't overvalue it. So uh, imagine though, you need food, you need water. You need love. You need oxygen. You don't need sex. I want you to think about this. You go to the doctor. The doctor diagnoses you with diabetes. And he says, listen, you've been eating too much sugar. It's killing you. It's really bad. If you keep eating sugar like you're eating sugar, you are going to die. Now, would, what kind of person would ever be like, how dare you, physician? Tell me what I can and cannot eat. I was born craving sugar. I'm a sugarvore, okay? How dare you? This is who I am. You can't make me not be who I am. You're a bigot. I want you to think about that for a minute. You would never do that. And the doctor would go, oh, okay, cool. I'm just telling you, you probably shouldn't eat sugar. That's not best for your body. That's not best for your soul. That's not best for you. You've had, this is not gonna be good. The doctor 
would then at that point do that. But see, some of the world's view of sex is way too high and some of it's way too low. I want to talk to you about the religious view of sex. And the religious view of sex is just as messed up. I'm just letting you know, okay? So I'm going to pick on Christians for a little bit, okay? Uh, so if you're here and you're kind of checking Christianity out and you thought I was picking on you, oh, you wait. I pick on my own even worse. So listen, I'm non-discriminatory. So um, the religious view, and churches are notorious of this, and they'll, they'll say, you know, you need to deny all... All, the, the low view is that sex is dirty and it's just for procreation. And you need to deny all of your, 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 your urges so that you can be in good standing with God. And if you deny all those urges and the more you deny all those urges, the more spiritual you are, therefore the more God loves you, right? And then on the other end, They'll say, oh, well, you, you know, if you follow all of God's rules and then you get married, then you're in proper social standing with the rest of us. And therefore now you belong to the group, right? And that's the religious view right there. And here's what I want you to know. That is a lie from the pit of hell, okay? Your salvation is not predicated on 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 anything but Jesus. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. Did we not sing that today? One clap for that one, amen. So listen, there's a worship team too. They're like, I picked that song. So (laughs) Holy Spirit moment, guys. So listen, here's, here's the thing. Salvation, a relationship with God is not predicated on how good you are, on how well you behave, on what rules you follow, because I'm gonna let you in on a little secret. None of us, including me, follow the rules very well. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means all of us. Poke your neighbor, tell him, sinner. Don't do it if it's a stranger, that's weird. Okay? And the, 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 the truth of the matter is this, that if all of us have sinned, it doesn't matter if you sinned a little bit or a lot to God. The word sin, when we translated it into English from Greek, the Greek word was hamartia, and um, they didn't have an English word for it. So when they were translating the King James Bible, they picked a word, an English word called sin. They said, what sums up this Greek word hamartia the best? And the English word sin at that time in 1611 was a archery term. And if you were an archer, you'd shoot at the bullseye and a spotter would be near the bullseye. And if you missed the bullseye by a millimeter, he would yell, sin. And if you missed the target completely, and if you're a, you shoot a bow and arrow like I do and you hit the spotter in the leg, he would yell, sin. It didn't matter if a millimeter or a mile, it was all sin. So some of you, you look great, you got your Bible, you're in your growth group, you pay your tithes, you do everything, everything right, you're doing it all right. But here's what I want you to know, you're still a sinner. You're still separated from God by your sin. And you'll never be good enough to get yourself into heaven. But so, so for those of you that, that are here and you're feeling unworthy, you're like, man, there's so many godly people in the room and I, I'm, I've got so many issues that no one knows about. I, just, I feel like the pastor's stalking me right now. Listen, I'll let you in on some good news. 
The Bible says this, though. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the person that missed the target by a millimeter and the person that missed the target by a mile that is in Christ Jesus, and you might be the person missing by a mile, there is no condemnation for you. Jesus says, get up, take your mat, and walk. So, I want to talk to you about the gospel view. See, here's, here, here's the truth. We're all shaped. We, what we believe is shaped by the world we live in, always, no matter what. And um, I have a friend, and he, uh, he said he's not a Christian whatsoever. He's very secular, uh, agnostic, maybe atheist. I don't, I'm not sure. He's not sure either. Um, he said to me, he said, why, why, we were talking about sex and, and all kinds of different stuff. And he said, why are all you Christians so obsessed with who I sleep with? And I said, I, I, I'm going to be honest with you, we're not. He goes, what are you talking about, man? Every time I turn on the TV, every time I pick up my phone and look at a news feed, there's some religious leader out there obsessed with who I'm sleeping with. And I said, okay, I'm going to give you that. Fair, that's, that's fair. But here's what I, I wa want you to know. Um, I want you to look at the nature of the media. Anytime there's ever a religious leader in the media, they're either talking about who you're sleeping with or it's about who they slept with or what kind of money they stole. It's never about all the good things that, that are happening in the church around the world. It's only those things. So you're getting a sliver of what the faith really is through, through that. And you're getting a tainted sliver of it. And he's like, okay, fair play. I said, as a matter of fact, I haven't preached a sermon on sex in like four years at my church. And I confirmed that because I have an employee who's been here three or four years. He's like, that was the first one I ever heard. Wow. So listen, we're not. As a matter of fact, the book of Corinthians, believe it or not, Christians that are in the room right now, Paul wrote it to us. The sexual ethics that are in this book are written to Christians for us to follow because God, when you become a baptized believer in the body of Christ, you are called to a higher standard. And many a preacher has done it wrong by calling the world to the standard that the world is not called to, that you and I are called to right here. But if you're a believer, you are called to a standard. And the world we live in, it shapes what we believe about sex. And he, he said, you know... But you, you're, you're like sheep. You just believe this 2,000-year-old book. And I said, well, hold on, man. You're no different. The world you live in. He goes, no, I think for myself, man. I'm a free thinker. I'm a progressive thinker. I think ahead. I said, hold on. I go, okay, so you went to elementary school in a, a, a California state-sponsored school. Secular, right? Separation of church and state, right? Yeah. You went to junior high in one, right? Yeah. You went to high school in a secular environment, Yeah. Yeah, you went to UCSD, which is like the capital of secularism for your four-year degree. Yeah, you got your master's up in Northern California at one of those schools, which is like the, the Vatican of secularism, right? So what makes you think that you're a free thinker? And he went, well played. Because the truth is, wherever you put yourself, that will shape how you see the world. I need you to understand that. This is why teenagers, listen, 20-somethings, 30-somethings, 60-somethings even, okay? If you do this for three hours a day, it shapes what you believe. 
the 4,700 memes you're reading, you may think like, ah, they're funny, they're harmless. They are funny. But three hours a day of them, an hour a day of them, every day, 365 days a year, shapes how you see the world. The things you believe are because of what you are taking in. It's that way, not just for teenagers, it's that way for adults too. I'm gonna pick on my baby boomer friends because some of you, you're not doing this, but you listen to hours and hours of Fox News and conservative talk radio, and you think that that is Christian, and it is not, and I'm picking on you, yes, and I'm even on a conservative talk radio station, so I'm one of you. 1680, Thursdays, nine o'clock, shameless plug. But anyways... You're shaped by it. We're shaped by whatever we take in. This is why we're always trying to encourage you, come to church, get in a growth group, start studying God's word on a regular basis, take in Christ on a regular basis because you are what you eat. You are what you consume. What comes in you will come out of you. So if you consume Christ once a week for 42 minutes when I'm up here, you are spiritually anemic. You're, you, 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 you can't make it. And let me give you one more, one more illustration to kind of help us understand how culture shapes us. See, the culture we live in shapes how we view the world. We live in a very individualistic culture, and that is a beautiful thing. Individualism, actually, there's a lot of good things about individualism. Uh, collective cultures, there's beautiful things about those, okay? There's bad things about a collectivist culture. There's bad things about an individualist culture. The tough thing about an individualist culture for a pastor is that um, the Bible was actually written to a collective culture that live more communally, and I'm trying to translate it to an individualist culture. And see, when the, when the people in Corinth read the letter Paul wrote to the Corinthians, they read it as a we. When we hear Corinthians, we read it as a me. So it, it's having to translate, okay, what does it mean to me in, in our culture? But I, I want you to, to un understand something. The, your culture shapes how you read the Bible. It shapes everything. And this, this is my, my hope for you to understand is that as a believer, you have to learn to elevate above culture and realize when your culture has tainted how you see the world. Okay, I'll give you a great example. Imagine um, a Viking warrior from 800 AD and um, he has two very strong inner impulses in him, cravings in him. One is to kill and destroy anyone that dishonors him. He comes from a, a shame and honor culture, right? And, and that's just part of his culture. So he has that desire. If he's ever dishonored, he wants to, ki to kill, all right? And then the, the other, um, someone totally just dropped a glass bottle behind me. I lost my frame of thought, sorry. Okay, anyways. So here, here's the deal. He, he has that desire to kill. But then there's this, this other thing in him that um, he also has this inner desire for sex with someone of the same sex. He has the same sex attraction. Okay, he, he lives in a shame and honor culture. All right? The, here's what I know will happen in his cult. Because of his culture and the grid and the lens he sees the world, when someone disrespects him in that culture, he pulls his ax out and kills them. And everyone in his culture goes, yeah! 
Yeah, they celebrate it. They cheer it. They throw a parade for him because you are never to shame anyone. You should never do that. That is, you know, that it's a, you know, his vengeance is celebrated. But then, here's what I want you to understand. In that culture, though, that very impulse to have sex with an, another Viking or even to have sex with multiple Viking wives, he has that desire, but you know what he does in his head? He goes, I can't act on that. That's not right. In my, his culture shaped his view of morality. Take a guy in 21st century Clovis. He's walking down the streets of downtown Clovis. Now we know he's probably got cowboy boots on, right? Because Clovis is the third biggest city in Oklahoma. <laughs> Odds are he has a gun. And he's walking down the street and he has the same two urges. One is to kill or destroy anyone that disrespects him. And the other is to have sex with someone of the same sex or maybe lots of women. Either one. Pick your poison. Both the Bible says are immoral. So when someone comes and disrespects him, because it's frowned on in our culture, violence, revenge, he suppresses that feeling. But if he acts out sexually, our culture goes, hooray for you, you're celebrating your sexuality, way to go. So don't tell me that your view on what's right and wrong isn't, shaped by the culture that you live in. And when you become a believer, believe it or not, what God has called you to is to be part of a new culture, a Christ culture. And it starts by getting the word of God in you. Because when you, the more of this you get in you, the more you see how different you are than the culture you live in and what God's called you to. God's called you to so much more. And see, in this passage we just read, Paul is talking about true love. He understands that... Um, He's realistic that not everyone has the gift of celibacy. Not everyone can, can do that. And yes, you, you should marry so you don't, you don't burn in, in, um, in, in, your, in your passions. But let, let's think about sex in our culture. Think of all, you know, when sex is not, when it's on the pedestal and when it's in the pantry, either way, with the religious folk or with the secular folk, when it's not in the right place, think of all the things that have gone wrong in our culture because of sex, disease, unwanted pregnancy, abortion, fatherlessness, on and on and on. Because there's a proper place for it. It's not too high, it's not too low. It's the place it was created to be. So, and some of you are like, milk's not created to be in a carton, it's in a cow's udder. Shut up. <laughs> I know. It's an illustration. N.T. Wright said this. N.T. Wright is probably the most brilliant theologian in the last hundred years. Um, he's a British Anglican theologian. And um, when he was writing about this passage, he said this, and I, I wanted to put it in my own words, but I can't. It's, it's, this is perfect. He said, we need to remind ourselves that the entire biblical sexual ethic is deeply counterintuitive. All human beings, some of the time, and some human beings, most of the time, have deep, heartfelt longings for kinds of sexual intimacy or gratification, multiple partners, pornography, whatever, which do not reflect the creator's best intentions for his human creatures. Intentions through which wisdom and flourishing will come to birth. Sexual restraint is mandatory for all. He's talking to Christians. Difficult for most. 
extremely challenging for some. But God is gracious and merciful. But this never means that his creational standards don't matter after all. So here's here's what I I want you to know about sex. There's a couple things going on in, in the scripture. It's not dirty. It's not just for procreation. The word sex comes from actually the the word we use, sect. Sect means to divide. Sex means to bring together, to make one. That's the biblical view of it, that, that is meant to make one, not make one with lots of people, but to make one with one. That was how it was originally designed. Now, we know that... Doesn't all that hasn't worked in our culture? And if you 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 know you're not Tim T. Everyone ridiculed Tim Tebow for being a virgin. That's what our culture does too. And you may not be Tim Tebow, and you're not a virgin before you got married or any of that, or you've slept around. Here's what I want you to know: There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. But if you're a believer, God has called you higher. He's called you to a higher standard now. But I want you to know this: If today you're here and you're not a believer in Jesus, He's not mad at you. He's not mad at anyone. As a matter of fact, God loves you. He's crazy about you. The Bible says it very clearly. That that because God knew all of us were going to sin and we would all be separated from him, it said, for God so loved the world. Anyone here live in the world? I'm part of the world. He, He said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus. That Jesus left everything to come have a relationship with you. Because he knew that you couldn't have a relationship with the living God until your sin was forgiven. That you couldn't be connected to your creator. You couldn't live out the purpose you were created for until you were connected with God. And you can't do that because of your sin. And you and I will never be good enough to do that. And God knew that. He sent Jesus who came and lived a perfect life, sin-free, in your place. And the Bible says that whoever believes in him shall not perish and have eternal life. Here's what that means. It means that if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. It means this, that it says in John 1, 12, but as many as received him, when you take him in, to those who believe in his name, he's given them the right to become children of God. That today, you could become a child of God by receiving Christ. There's no condemnation. He's not mad. The good news is this. Anything you've done in the past, present, future, sin-wise, God's not in heaven going, I know what you did last summer and I'm going to get you. No, he says, I know what you did last summer and I love you anyways. I love you anyways. So some of you... I want to give you the opportunity to receive Jesus and have a relationship with God. It'll change everything. Grace is the game changer. When you invite Jesus in your life, he then sets you on a journey to follow him. He reshapes who you are. He turns your heart of stone to a heart of flesh. And it does, for most people, including me, it didn't happen overnight. It's been a process throughout my whole life, but it's been a process that's been changing my life Every day, it's been the most incredible adventure. Talk to another Christian, they'll tell you the same thing. When they accepted Christ, they weren't perfect afterwards. They still struggled with sin. But over time, God, it says that he who began a good work and you will finish it on the day of Christ Jesus. So what that means is over the period of your life, God is going to make you a new creation into a completely new person, the person you were created to be. But you can't start that journey until you invite him in, until you receive him. And I want to encourage you to do that today. 
we have a tradition at this church that when you do that, we give you a bulb and a Bible. And I'm going to lead you guys in a minute in a prayer if you want to do that. But um, if you pray and you, you invite Christ in, you receive him, we give you this bulb. And this bulb represents Jesus, the light of the world, now living in you. Remember how the, the Bible said you're a temple of the Holy Spirit? The Spirit of God now lives in you, the light of the world. And that bulb represents the day you heard Jesus knock on the door of your heart and you let him in. And you take it and you screw it into our Jesus' life, light, and love. And we're on the last one, so you get the cool red one. And the red, you screw it in there, it lights up. And it's your way of remembering the day that God called you by name. See, think about sex. Sex is meant to bring people together in oneness. Forever. And God chose you. He called you by name, but God loves you so much, he's giving you the choice. He'll wait patiently for you to choose him. But for some of you, today's the day. And you get that bulb and it reminds you that on Father's Day 2019, God knocked on the door of my heart and I finally opened it and let him in. And the band will play music, will sing Cornerstone probably. And I would encourage you to do something brave. That if you receive Christ, while this song's playing, I'm gonna be hanging out up here. I got a bunch of bulbs for you. I've got Bibles. By the way, we have your name engraved in gold leaf on the Bible because we believe this. The Bible says very clearly that when you receive Christ, your name is written in the book of life and there's no erasing it. There's no sin that you could ever commit that would make God erase it. There's no, there's no sin you could do that's greater than what Jesus did on the cross. That's good news, isn't it? So I wanna encourage you, if, if you pray that prayer, to declare it with your mouth, celebrate it. After you pray it, come forward and get a bulb while we're singing. This church is gonna cheer you on like you won the Super Bowl. It takes a little act of courage to do it. But I tell you what, God will bless you for your obedience. He will honor you for that. So let's pray. Let's bow our heads. Hi, this is Pastor Sean Beatty from Clovis Hills Community Church. I want to thank you for listening to the podcast. Hey, I encourage you to download the Clovis Hills app on your phone. With the app, you can do all kinds of things like prayer requests, live notes, giving. I also encourage you to check out our uh, Facebook Live page if, if you want to watch online. You can come to our services live. They're Saturday nights at 6 o'clock, Sundays at 9 a.m. and 1040. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast.